Happy 2021, and welcome back to the Piano Rhapsody podcast. My name is Andy, I'll be your host. This is a podcast where you follow me, an amateur piano player, trying to learn to play Rhapsody in Blue one day, and all of the pieces that I encounter along the way. So we took a couple weeks break due to an early release snafu, but thank you for coming back. From here on out, you can expect a new episode every Tuesday, and I've made it my New Year's resolution to stay true to that for at least a year, so you'll at least get 12 months out of me. Hopefully I could keep up the weekly format longer than that, but uh, let's take it one year at a time. So I feel like this is our first real step into this journey, and thinking about where to go can be kind of overwhelming, but I've given it some thought, and I think a perfect place to start would be to explore some preludes. So over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at six preludes. And yes, to all you math whizzes out there, that means one week you're getting two for the price of one. I figured the best way to do this would be to do it chronologically, so we could see how the prelude began and how that influenced future composers. So we're going to start in the year 1722 and go all the way up to 1913. But before we hop in our sonic time machines, I thought we should try to define what a prelude is. This is actually a difficult task because preludes are kind of amorphous. They don't follow a specific style or form. And their style is pretty much left up to the whim of the composer. If there is something that unites them, it's that they're generally short, probably around two minutes on average, and they contain a simple motif that is usually repeated and played upon throughout the length of the piece. It would seem obvious by the name that preludes tend to preface something, but we'll come to see that that's not even always true. The first preludes for keyboard were written during the Baroque period, and they were often paired with a fugue. One of the first composers to write these prelude and fugue pairs was Pachelbel in the late 1600s. While Pachelbel's preludes aren't too popular these days, luckily for him, he also wrote this thing called a canon, which I would estimate about a healthy half of modern brides walk down the aisle to. So good on Pachelbel for that immortality. No, a lot of people don't think the prelude was born until Bach gave it a whirl, and in 1722, he wrote one of the most essential works of piano literature that has ever existed and has had the widest influence on future composers of classical music. This work is called The Well-Tempered Clavier. Now, I don't want to dwell too much about the well-tempered part of the title because, I'll be honest, I'm not an expert on musical physics, nor do I really care about musical physics. (laughs) But I do know it has something to do about tuning a harpsichord to 12 equally distanced tones. And this is important because the well-tempered clavier consists of 24 prelude and fugue pairs. Bach wrote one pair for each major and minor key. So I mentioned in a previous episode that keys can be named major or minor, and they can be named with a letter from A to G. So some of you math whizzes out there are probably thinking, hey, but that's only seven. And you're right. 
uh, A through G only accounts for the white keys. But we also need to take into account the five black keys, which are C sharp, E flat, F sharp, A flat, and B flat. So those seven white keys plus the five black keys equals 12. Then we account for the major and minor sets, and that brings us to 24. Bach organized the preludes in a chromatic fashion, oscillating between major and minor keys, and starting with C major. So number one, C major. Number two, C minor. Number three, C sharp major. Number four, C sharp minor, etc., etc., all the way up the keyboard. Now let's talk about what clavier means. Clavier is simply a keyboard instrument. So I mentioned before that the well-tempered clavier is one of the most influential piano works in history. Well, that's kind of funny because Bach didn't write it for piano because pianos didn't exist. The popular instrument at the time was the harpsichord. But you'll notice that Bach didn't call it the well-tempered harpsichord either. Probably because he wanted to be inclusive, inviting the work to be played on the clavichord or the organ as well. Or maybe he knew that he had written a masterpiece, and for hundreds of years to come, this work would be played on instruments he could not even imagine yet. Either way, the work was actually so popular that he ended up writing a second volume with the same exact format, so 24 more pairs of preludes and fugues in 1744. So I couldn't think of a better way to begin this discussion on preludes than to tackle the one that started it all. The one that opens the well-tempered clavier and has inspired dozens of composers for years and years to come. It's also the easiest prelude in the entire work, which is a plus for me. Bach's Prelude in C Major, BWV 846 from the Well-Tempered Clavier, Book 1. Now that BWV just stands for Bach Works Catalog, but it's a German expression, which I am not about to pronounce, which is where the V comes from. It's very similar to the W-O-O from Beethoven's works that we discussed during the Fur Elise episode. As you can see from the 846 number, Bach is a pretty prolific writer. I actually looked up the catalog, and it goes all the way up to 1,164. That's an average of 18 published works per year of Bach's 65 years of life. And judging from my toddler, I don't think he's getting a whole lot done in those first couple years. Unless you consider eating cheese sticks and cookies productive work. Most of Bach's preludes follow the format of introducing a short theme and then playing around with it for the remainder of the prelude. The theme that Bach opens prelude in C major with is a simple arpeggiated C major chord. Arpeggio simply referring to playing all the notes separately in a chain rather than playing them all together at once. Some refer to the C major chord of this prelude as the beginning of modern Western music, which is a lot of pressure to put on one little chord. But I thought this would be a great place to discuss what makes up a C major chord and how do we build it. Major chords are your basic building block in music. They're like the big Lego pieces that all the little ones go on top of to make something new. 
to build the major chord, you start with your major scale. And since we're in C major, we'll start with the C major scale. The C major scale uses all of the white keys of the piano, starting at C. So we have C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And from the scale, to make the major chord, we take the first, third, and fifth notes. Easy, right? And that works with every major scale. So let's take a listen to the C major arpeggiated theme that Bach opens the prelude with. And that's it. From here on out, Bach just uses this theme and plays around with it. There's no melody to this prelude. It's all a simple progression of harmony, which Bach constructs so carefully that the transitions are seamless and the prelude feels alive. One of the compositional techniques Bach uses is modulation, which means that the prelude briefly strays to another key and this provides variance and makes it feel like the piece is going somewhere. So while the piece may start in C major with that famous chord, and Bach plays around in C major for a while, you'll notice a transition, and we arrive in a new key. Now you could probably imagine when composers want to modulate, they want to modulate into a key that is similar to the one that you're already in to avoid making a jarring transition. One common technique to do this is to follow the circle of fifths in music. So if we follow that rule, C major should take us to C, D, E, F, G major. And that's exactly what Bach does right here. So Bach stays in this new key for a little while but it doesn't take long before we go back to the home key. And he provides another transition from G major right back to C major. Next, Bach utilizes some chromaticism with falling chords that provides some tension to the piece and gives it a mild climax. Then as resolution, we have a final descending arpeggiated theme, which takes us all the way down to a basic C major chord. So a brief note on performing this piece, Bach offers very little instruction. He provides no tempo and no dynamic markings. These choices are made by the performer and can vary wildly. I know a lot of Bach scholars would turn their nose up at one of the choices I made in my recording, and that is to use the pedal. They would tell me that Bach did not write for the piano, and that harpsichords did not have a pedal. And I would tell them, Bach wrote the well-tempered clavier, not the well-tempered harpsichord. Besides, how many people play the harpsichord these days? I think if Bach had the option, he would appreciate and take advantage of what the piano could offer, especially for a prelude that sounds as ethereal as this. A prelude that Bach scholar Philip Spitta described 
as the song of an angel heard in the silence of night through the murmur of trees. But before we hit my recording, I wanted to share with you what a true master says about this prelude. World-famous piano player Lang Lang. He says that this prelude simulates breathing, and that you should try to recognize the moments of tension and relaxation, using dynamics to reflect this pull and release, getting louder during the moments of tension, while getting softer during the moments of relaxation. Thinking of the prelude like this, and considering its easier difficulty compared to the rest of the work, this is the truest prelude in just about every sense of the word. A true meditation before what is to come. And now, the prelude in full. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You could find a standalone recording of this prelude in the podcast stream. You could also find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody. And feel free to email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. And if you still can't get enough piano, you could search for Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud and find all of the recordings to this podcast, as well as some unreleased tracks. And lastly, please hit the subscribe button. This podcast will be rolling at a weekly rate, and subscribing is the easiest way not to miss it. Next week, we're going to jump about 100 years in the future to the island of Majorca 
where a young Chopin is writing a bunch of preludes. I'll talk to you then.